Welcome to OB Wannabes, an educational podcast about obstetrics and gynecology and women's health for medical students and women's healthcare providers. Alrighty, so I guess we'll get started with our long-acting contraceptive options. Um, the abbreviation for this in medical terminology is LARC, which is long-acting reversible contraception. Um, these are our most effective reversible contraceptive methods. Um, they uh, require less effort um, for long-term and effective use because you're not having to, for example, take a pill every day or go to the doctor's office for a shot every few weeks. Um, so women like this, that they don't have to be, you know, thinking about this every single day or every week. There were a series of studies called uh, the Contraceptive Choice Project, um, and one of these that was done in St. Louis, um, they essentially offered free um, contraception options um, to women, and uh, then they studied, you know, how effective these were at preventing pregnancy, um, which uh, options women preferred over others and um, any side effects, you know, that they experienced over the years. And one of the things that I found interesting um, is that they found that um, patients who used non-LARCs or those, you know, that were using contraception that isn't long-acting, they were um, 22 times more likely to have an unintended pregnancy than those that used a LARC method. Um, So clearly there's... um, an improvement in the success rate or the um, prevention of pregnancy with these options. Um, The two types of LARCs that are available in the United States are the IUD or the intrauterine device and the contraceptive implant, um, also known as the Nexplanon. So I'll start with talking about um, intrauterine devices or IUDs. There's five different types that are available in the US. There's one that is the copper IUD. Um, This one is uh, made of polyethylene and it's wrapped with copper wire. Uh, So it doesn't have an active hormone in it, which some women find, you know, attractive because most of our birth control uh, methods are hormonal. Um, Its method of action is that it inhibits sperm migration and viability in uh, the uterine cavity. Um, It is effective for up to 10 years. Um, It can also be used as an emergency contraception option, which we'll go into more detail about this uh, type of contraception next week. Um, But essentially, post-coitally, someone can make an appointment to have a copper IUD inserted, um, and uh, that can prevent a pregnancy. Uh, This does not mean that it's a abortifacient or something that can cause an abortion or a miscarriage. One of the uh, main considerations for copper IUD is that um, it has been shown to maybe cause heavier periods and painful periods, um, more so than its hormone counterparts. Um, So that's something to consider and discuss uh, with your doctor if you're considering this method. Um, And uh, with all of these methods, we'll talk about perfect use versus typical use. Um, uh, For the long acting methods, Um, There isn't a huge difference because um, most of them are considered a perfect use if the doctor inserted them correctly. 
Um, so for the proper IUD um, with perfect use, um, its failure rate is a 0.6%. So that means if there were 100 women that got the copper IUD, only 0.6% of them um, would become pregnant within a year of using that birth control. So it's definitely very effective. Um, so I'll move on to the hormonal IUDs. Um, these are um, levonorgestrel um, releasing, um, an abbreviation for them are LNG IUDs. There are four different types in the US. Um, the most common one that people probably see a lot of commercials for is the Mirena. There's also Loletta, Kylina, and Skyla. Um, so the method of action of uh, these uh, levonorgestrel uh, releasing IUDs is that they change the amount and the viscosity or like the thickness of the cervical mucus. And so it prevents sperm from, uh, you know, passing the cervical canal into the uterine cavity. Um, for uh, this method, the um, typical and perfect use, again, they're kind of equivalent here, is 0.2% effective. So it's, it has a little bit uh, of a greater effectiveness than the copper IUD. Um, as I said before, there's four different types available in the U.S. Um, they mainly differ by the amount of hormone that they release in a given day. Um, so the Mirena has the highest uh, dosing in total. It's a 20 microgram, or I'm sorry, uh, in total, the Mirena has a 52 milligram um, hormone uh, content. Um, it releases about 20 micrograms a day. Uh, the Loletta has the same total amount of hormone in it, but it releases a little bit less per day, 18.6 micrograms per day. Uh, moving down in the amount of hormone, Kylina has 19.5 milligrams total and releases 17.5 micrograms a day. And then the Kylina has the lowest hormone amount, 13.5 total in 14 micrograms a day. And I know that's listing a lot of different numbers there, but for some women, they, uh, you know, really care about, you know, um, what hormones are putting in their body and like to consider those dosing options. Um, that does mean that uh, the Mirena might be a little bit stronger, might um, uh, not necessarily affect the effectiveness of preventing pregnancy, but uh, women who are using the IUD to uh, lower um, the amount that they bleed in a given period, uh, they might experience um, a little bit more bleeding and a lower dose IUD compared to the Mirena. So that's something to consider. Um, another consideration between these different IUDs is the Kylina and the Skyla. They've really marketed towards women that are nulli paris or haven't had children yet. Uh, because they have a narrower inserter um, when the um, OB-GYN actually puts the IUD into the uterine cavity. It has a smaller tube that goes through the cervical canal. And so um, they say that this can be make it a little less painful for insertion, because uh, that is something that we consider with women who haven't had um, children before. Some side effects to consider with IUD. Uh, there is uh, a somewhat of a risk with hormone related side effects, not as much as using um, a short acting um, hormonal birth control. Um, this can include headaches, nausea, breast tenderness, mood changes, ovarian cysts, and um, some women, women experience um, 
an increase in acne. But all of these, by and large, uh, occur at a lower percentage than women who are using um, different types of hormone birth control. Um, the main thing that we talk about uh, with patients is that they may experience pain and cramping with insertion of the IUD. Uh, they usually recommend that the patient take a high-dose ibuprofen uh, before their appointment. And some doctors uh, will prescribe a cervical softening medication. Um, this isn't necessarily a recommendation made across the board, uh, but it may be um, recommended by some physicians, again, to um, decrease the amount of pain that a woman might experience with IUD insertion. Uh, most women uh, still ovulate when they have an IUD, um, but most uh, experience diminished bleeding um, during their period uh, because of the action of levonorgestrel on the endometrium. Um, there's few complications with the IUD. Um, these include um, failure of the birth control method, meaning um, resulting in a pregnancy. Um, there is a very small risk that the IUD could be expelled from the uterine cavity, meaning it falls out and the woman could get pregnant uh, because it's no longer in the uterine cavity. Uh, this is estimated to occur about 2 to 10% um, of cases in the first year. So it's more likely to happen in that first year that you have the IUD. And then there's a very, very small chance that it can perforate the uterine uh, lining. Uh, this occurs in about one per 1,000 IUD insertions. So there's a very small risk of that happening, uh, but it is something to um, inform your patients about. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much the rundown on IUDs. I know that was a lot of information. <laughs> um, and now I'll talk about the implant, also known as the Nexplanon. Uh, this is a little tube. It's about four centimeters long, two millimeters wide. So it's really tiny, flexible tube uh, that's placed subdermally. So under the skin in the upper arm, uh, it contains etonorgestrel. <laughs> uh, so another type of um, progesterone. Um, it's about 68 milligrams of this hormone. Uh, and it's... Um, coated with a chemical that I'm not going to try to say because it's very long, but essentially it controls the release of uh, etonorgestrel over the course of three years. So it's just slowly releasing hormone um, into the system. Um, its method of action primarily is to pre prevent ovulation. Uh, so this is very similar to the birth control pill, um, but it can also, uh, they think, it also helps prevent pregnancy by thickening the cervical mucus and altering the endometrial lining. Um, it has been found to be the most effective reversible method of birth control. Um, it's perfect use and typical use pregnancy rate is 0.05%. Uh, so it's very small. It's, uh, you know, pretty much like uh, the rate of sterilization. Um, but again, as soon as it is taken out of the arm, a woman can get pregnant. And so that's pretty cool. Um, it can uh, change the amount or the frequency that someone has their menses. Most often it causes um, a woman to no longer have their period or to have them less frequently. So you might not have one every month. For most women, that's definitely a considered a benefit. Um, 
there are a few adverse effects that someone might experience, um, changes to their GI, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? <laughs> uh, some adverse effects that can be experienced with an explanon, uh, that they listed, uh, include, um, GI upset, headaches, breast pain, vaginitis. Um, there is a small per- percentage of women that can experience weight gain, but a, but very few people, um, actually have the Nexplanon removed because of this side effect. I think several women, you know, find this method so um, effective and they're, you know, happy with it that they don't mind, um, you know, the weight gain. And it's, it's definitely not across the board. Um, some complications that can occur, uh, we mainly consider this with um, the insertion of the Nexplanon. Um, it can be painful. It can cause a small amount of bleeding. And then there's a small risk that the Nexplanon can be improperly placed, either um, too deep or not in the right place. Um, but all of these complications are very rare. And, um, you know, as I said, the 0.05% effective rate, or sorry, the 0.05% pregnancy rate is um, definitely attractive for women considering a, a LARC um, birth control. Um, so that's kind of a rundown on uh, on the LARCs. So Cassie, why don't you tell us about the short-acting birth control options? Yeah, so like you mentioned, the majority of those you were talking about were hormonal. And these uh, short-acting ones we're going to talk about are also the hormonal. There's two uh, main types. There's the combined methods, which have both estrogen and progestin. And there's also the progestin-only options. Um, so in terms of the short-acting hormonals in general, they're used by about a third of sexually active women in the U.S. Uh, For the most part, tend to be easily um, reversible. You stop taking your pill or your patch or your ring, and um, you're able to return to fertility pretty quickly. Um, But they do require more consistency. Um, Obviously, you're not having something inserted for years at a time. You're going to have to be responsible for it every day or every week or every month, depending on what form you're using. Uh, And there's also tend to be a few more side effects, but there's also a lot of off-label uses. So besides just uh, working as contraception, some other things that uh, these can be indicated for. And another thing to remember is that none of these protect you against STIs, as we (laughs) talked about last week. Um, The only thing is going to be condoms that will protect you against STIs. So if you are um, using these for contraception, you should also be using a condom uh, to protect you from STIs. Okay, so we'll start talking with the combined methods. So like I said, these have the estrogen and progestin. There's several different um, forms of estrogen and progestin and different combinations that they use, and I'm not going to go into all of them. Uh, We'll be here for a couple hours. Um, So with the combined OCP, this is what people commonly call the pill. Uh, It's And all of these kind of work in the same way. They stop eggs from being released, they thicken the cervical mucus, and they thin the endometrial lining. So our estrogen and progestin um, options all have that mechanism of action. So for the combined uh, pills, you take it at the same time every day, and there's you can either do uh, 21 days and then seven days of a placebo pill or no pill at all, and that's when you would have your withdrawal bleed, which is si- uh, similar to the menses, but you um, have not ovulated. It's not actually um, having a period. There's also options that are longer. Uh, they have the things like seasonique. Uh, that's an extended regimen. So you would do 
um, you would take the combined pills that are active for about 12 weeks. And then you do one week where you're taking either a placebo or no pill that you would um, have your withdrawal bleed then. Or there are also ones that you have no bleeding at all. So these are really nice, especially for patients who are um, or have very painful periods, endometriosis. They don't want to have to um, worry about that uh, because it can help decrease cramps. It can decrease uh, the amount of bleeding uh, that you have. Uh, some patients will even have amenorrhea, um, but there's also a risk of breakthrough bleeding or bleeding outside of the time that you're expected to have your withdrawal bleed. Uh, these are 99% effective with perfect use, but like Shelly mentioned, uh, that's not actually how it goes. So they're about 92% with typical use. So there are a lot of indications uh, and non-contraceptive benefits associated. There's a decreased risk of endometrial cancer and ovarian cancer. Um, it's 50% decrease in endometrial cancer if you're taking uh, combined oral contraceptives for more than 12 months. And uh, also a huge risk, 80% reduction of ovarian cancer risk with over 10 years of use for oral contraceptives. Uh, you also can have as we mentioned, the reduction in your menses, so great for patients with dysmenorrhea or anemia. There's also a decreased risk of ectopic pregnancy and pelvic inflammatory disease, um, and they can be used for patients with endometriosis, benign breast disease, ovarian cysts, um, acne. They can also help decrease unwanted hair growth. It is also safe to wear during intercourse, so you would keep it in while you uh, have intercourse and um, it is relatively comfortable, is what um, the book says. So <laughs> that was definitely one of my first questions when I met someone that mm -hmm. had the neighboring. I was like, can you feel it? And they're like, no, I just put it up there and then I don't feel it at all. And the ring has the lowest estrogen level among the different combined uh, options. Um, and then something to keep in mind is that for the majority of these, there's no difference based on weight, but with the patch, there is an increased failure rate in women weighing over uh, 198 pounds. So something to keep in mind when you're deciding what methods to use with which, which patients. So next we have our progestin only. So these options don't have any estrogen. They only contain progestin. We have the progestin only mini pill. So it's safe for women who can't use the combined pills. Uh, perhaps they smoke or they have risk of blood clots. Um, same mechanism of action where you're, but the primary mechanism of action is going to be uh, cervical mucus thickening. So that's the main way that these progestin options work. Uh, if you take this pill, the mini pill, more than three hours late, it will not be effective and you're going to have to use another form of uh, birth control or contraception for at least seven days after. So with this pill, it's very important to make sure that your patients are able to take it at the exact same time every day. 99% effective with perfect use, 91% effective with typical use. Uh, it is contraindicated with certain medical conditions, such as some forms of lupus, and any patient with current uh, breast cancer or a history of breast cancer. And side effects include bleeding changes, breakthrough bleeding, headache, nausea, breast tenderness, uh, pretty similar to all the other um, options that we've talked about so far. And then next we have the Depo shot, um, or which it contains the Depo medroxyprogesterone acetate. So this is an injection that's given every 12 weeks, uh, intramuscularly, usually in the buttocks, and it has a slow release of hormones. 
With, it is 99% effective uh, with per perfect use as long as you're staying up to date, meaning that you're making sure that you don't let any time period elapse where you get your shot late. So you want to make sure you're staying on top of it, have your appointment set up, uh, and keep track of when you're supposed to have it done. Otherwise, with typical use, it's 94% effective. Uh, with the depot shot, it can take some time to leave your system. So it does uh, take a little longer to regain fertility after you stop the injection. So this is not for women who are interested in becoming pregnant within a year of stopping their injection. So something to keep in mind when counseling patients is that if they're only thinking of um, having the, using their contraceptive options for a short period of time, this is not the right option for them. With long-term use, the depo shot can decrease the risk of uterine cancer um, and actually can help relieve some symptoms of sickle cell disease and seizure disorders, as well as decrease the bleeding risks from fibroids and pelvic pain from endometriosis. Um, I know a lot of women are concerned about weight gain, obviously, with taking these hormonal options. The average weight gain on the depo shot is actually less than five pounds. So definitely something to keep in mind that it's, um, I believe the only method that has uh, is associated with weight gain is the patch. There's also um, a possibility of um, amenorrhea or no longer having your period by using the depot shot for long periods of time. Um, something important to keep in mind is that after when you're getting your first injection, after you get the injection, it's not effective uh, for at least seven days. So in that first period of time, you need to make sure you're using another form of contraception. Um, and as for these progestin only, uh, or for the depo shot, since there's no estrogen, there is a risk of um, loss of bone density. Uh, estrogen helps protect um, the bones and uh, is actually really, uh, very a protective factor for women premenopausal uh, from osteoporosis. So without that estrogen and only pro progestin being there, there is a risk of that loss of bone density. Um, and then another thing to keep in mind is that the, with the progestin only options, these are really great options for uh, postpartum contraceptive care. So these are going to be what you recommend. You're not going to want to recommend the uh, combined contraceptives to women who are breastfeeding, but the uh, depo shot and the progestin pill are going to be good options for patients who um, are postpartum and interested in having contraceptives. And that's pretty much it for our uh, short acting. So they're mostly short acting except for the depot, which is every three months. But uh, even with that, it's comparatively to our larks, pretty short acting. One thing I didn't mention. So definitely one of the advantages about the IUD is that once it's in, you don't have to worry about it for several years. Uh, I know that I mentioned that the copper IUD is effective for up to 10 years. Um, so that has the longest, uh, you know, length of time for use. Um, the Mirena and the Kylina can be kept in for uh, a maximum of five years, the Liletta for four years, and the Skyla for three. Um, so that might also be part of the decision making uh, when a patient decides what type they might want. Yeah, definitely good to keep in mm -hmm. mind. And then on that note, some other things to think of. Uh, with the uh, the pills and anything that you're taking orally, um, since that is going through and being processed um, through your system and the liver. So if you have liver disease uh, or hepatitis, it's contraindicated to use these um, hormonal pills. And 
yeah, um, I learned that today. <laughs> um, they can also interact with other medications um, as they're being processed. So certain medications can decrease the efficacy of the birth control pill. So even if you're doing it with perfect use, you take it at exactly the same time every single day, but you're using um, an antibiotic or certain medications, you could still become pregnant based on that uh, decreased efficacy of the pill. So when you're taking any other medications with it, you need to keep that in mind. And then the progestin pills have an increased risk of um, ovulation still occurring. About 40% of women still have ovulation with the progestin-only pills. Um, one thing to consider with IUD as a potential complication is, uh, you know, as I said before, um, the IUD has a very low failure rate. But if someone were to get pregnant with an IUD, um, there's an increased chance that that pregnancy would be ectopic, meaning it's not in the uterus, and that is a medical emergency. Um, so it doesn't increase your risk of having an ectopic pregnancy, but in that very small percentage of people who get pregnant with an IUD, they have a higher risk of having an ectopic pregnancy. Well, now that we've added in all the extra things that we forgot about as we were talking, um, thanks for bearing with us. I know it's a little bit out of order, but you know, sometimes things just come up and you remember them. And it's important. We want to make sure we're sharing everything that we think of and that we've learned with you guys. Um, so thanks for listening with us as we talked about LARCs and our hormonal short acting um, options. And then next week, if you join us, we'll be discussing all the other methods of contraception. So we'll be talking about sterilizations or the permanent methods, barrier methods, withdrawal, um, post-coital uh, contraceptive options. So join us next week and we'll talk more about those. Thanks. We are third-year medical students at Torrey University of Nevada, College of Osteopathic Medicine, and we are student members of ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and ACUG, the American College of Osteopathic Obstetricians and Gynecologists. The views expressed in this episode are not representative of any of these organizations, and this podcast is not affiliated or associated with any of these organizations.